spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha, happy Aloha Friday. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. This, of course, is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And Ryan, today we are heading over to Honolulu Hale. That's right. We are going to be catching up with Council Chair Tommy Waters, who's going to join us to talk about a number of issues that is in front of the City Council. Joining us right now is Chairman Waters. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to see you this morning. Good morning and aloha to you and your viewers. Uh, let's start off talking about something that made headlines uh, just a few days ago with the Board of Water Supply asking residents uh, to conserve waters, knowing uh, with what we're, what's going on with Red Hill and uh, the situation there and now being asked uh, to conserve water solely because of the uh, supply and demand issues that could be popping up that could even get worse in the summer. What are your thoughts moving forward uh, and your concerns about this potential water issue as we move into the summer months? Great question. Thank you for asking. You know, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Ernie Lau. He, he really is a hero. You know, he brought this up early and been fighting for clean water. And last year, we knew this was going to happen. So, so to answer your question directly, it was completely predictable. We had to close down the Halava shaft that provides water all the way from Moanalua to Hawaii Kai. There's 400,000 water users, and they shut down that shaft because of this leak. You know, last year, me and uh, Radiant Cordero, Council Member Cordero introduced Bill 48, um, working with the, the Board of Water Supply to say that the Navy has to come to the city for a permit to put underground storage tanks above an aquifer, right? And you recall the Board of, excuse me, the Department of Health, in my mind, really did drop the ball they weren't exercising their oversight over these tanks. The EPA delegated it to the Department of Health. So we stepped in, introduced the bill. And I like to, to think that it kind of got the ball rolling and got folks to wake up and say, this is important. Um, of course, the spill and, and folks not being able to drink water had a lot to do with that. But I was so happy to hear that the Biden administration made that decision to to close down these tanks. But of course, that still needs to be done. There's still fuel in those tanks and it's super scary, right? The Navy's own, um, their own study says that it's, it's imminent that this will happen again. So the sooner we empty those tanks, the sooner the, the better and we'll have clean drinking water. But, you know, I, I wanna apologize to, to our residents. You know, we should have done this sooner. We should have closed down these tanks years ago so that these types of restrictions could have been prevented. 
You know, the city does hold a lot of power because you do have control over a number of uh, properties that the that the army and that the military overall uses for training and whatnot. We know that you and Councilmember Kia Aina did send a letter to the Biden administration saying that you would not renew those leases if they did not follow through. Where does that stand right now? What is sort of your threshold for keeping the Navy accountable? And what more do you think they need to do going forward? You know, we're looking at possibly having to drill new wells and find new sources of water. Who should pay for that? And if it is the Navy, how do we make them do that? No, thank you. Uh, you know, Esther Kiaina used to work for Senator Akaka and Congressman Case, and she has a lot of friends who are in influential places. So she and I authored a letter to the president and she had it delivered personally by one of her, her many contacts in Washington, D.C. And I think the president took it, took it to heart. I mean, it really had to be an executive decision, right? The, closing down these tanks, especially in light of what's going on in the world today with Ukraine. Um, we're in a strategic spot here in Hawaii. So the fact that they took our letter seriously and our, our congressional delegation working tirelessly to convince the Biden administration and the Navy to close down the tanks was significant. Um, you know, I'm not sure whether or not they, they really took our threats seriously. And I, I do use the word threat lightly, but the Navy does have um, a lot of leases here on the island and in the state, and those things, those leases could have been jeopardized. I mean, I can't speak for the mayor or the governor or the legislature, but I certainly would have made and did make that an issue that that we live together on an island. We need to work together to keep our drinking water safe. And to just follow up, do you believe that those leases that the city does control could be used as a leverage point to really make sure that the Navy does, in fact, stick to this timeline that they do, in fact, uh, defuel and close this um, down? Because I think there is some concern that it's one thing to say something. And we've heard them uh, and we've heard early I'll express some comments about often what the Navy says and what they do is completely different. Uh, do you believe that holding these leases as possible negotiating points to ensure that they actually follow through and execute this? No, absolutely, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is these tanks need to be defueled as soon as possible because, as I mentioned, the prospect of another leak is imminent, right? It's imminent. These, these tanks are 50, 60 years old, and they're going to leak. So holding their feet to the fire is something that I think all elected officials and government officials should do. And if we need to say, hey, we're not gonna renew your leases if you don't get rid of this, this, this fuel. Um, not, I, let me rephrase that. You shouldn't get rid of this fuel, but you need to move it, right? Take it off or out of those tanks that are above the aquifer and do it as quickly as possible. So short answer is yes. I, I think that is a good leverage um, to get them to do exactly that. In the meantime, we still do have this issue of needing to conserve water. Uh, what are your thoughts moving forward as we do head into the summer? Um, do you think that we could have mandatory restrictions? And what are you telling your constituents, especially, you know, we're going to have a lot of tourists coming here. There's a lot of pent up demand for travel. Um, and we know that that means a lot more water being used, um, especially when it gets hot. And a lot of folks are on vacation. They don't necessarily think about taking shorter showers and whatnot. 
So what do you propose going forward uh, as we deal with the water shortage? Like I said, you know, Ernie Lau is my hero. And if he says we got to do it, we got to do it. And, and I want to just apologize to the water users that we need to conserve. We need to conserve. It's as simple as that. As far as the hotels are concerned, you know, I, I intend to talk to the hotel industry to get them to be a partner with us, to take this seriously as well. Um, you know, the city has gone through various showers and put those, those um, limiters on those showers, similar to those in the public bathrooms where you push the button, the water goes on for a few seconds and then turns off. I think those types of things is, is important and, and, and we should do. I want to switch gears here and, and talk a little bit more about uh, what happened with COVID-19. Uh, of course, we are seeing some of these restrictions. It's been a week uh, now since the uh, Safe Access Oahu program has uh, dissolved. And we also have heard from the governor about his plans uh, to move forward beyond this emergency proclamation and with the removal of masks in, in spaces, as well as the Safe Travels program. Uh, your thoughts with the city uh, at the city council and things that are managed at that level, uh, how you guys are moving forward beyond COVID-19 and some of the policies that were set up in place to protect people, how are those going to be changing moving forward? Well, we're, I'm agreeing with the mayor and the governor's decision to repeal the emergency proclamations and try to get back to normal. In fact, we've been having remote testimony here on the council for, for over a year now, and I'm looking forward to opening up the chamber to have in-person testimony. But I do think we need to still be vigilant. There could be another variant coming, and we need to keep our testing sites open, making sure people get vaccinated as much as possible. And of course, wearing our masks, you know, I, while it's not mandatory, I just want to encourage people and employees in the city council to keep wearing their masks because it works, right? I know it's uncomfortable for some folks, but it works. But basically, we're following exactly what the mayor and the governor are doing here on the council. I want to bring in this question from Anne Marie Madero. She says, with the recent federal corruption cases of state legislatures and yesterday's ethics violations by two city council representatives, what repercussions will the city council enforce against Representative Tupola and Representative Suniyoshi? Your thoughts on, on uh, what we learned in those cases. Well, thank you. I, I do want to point out that the city council has our own council administrative manual that deals with, with what this ACA fund is supposed to be used for. And ACA stands for Annual Contingency Allowance. Each council member has an allowance of $25,000. And it's supposed to be used basically to keep in contact with your constituents, right? Through I, I spend a lot of my ACA account on mail to my constituents, giving them an update on, on what's going on, including what I just sent out, an update on the timeline of Red Hill. Um, to me, this is the best use of that money, but you can also use it for things such as training, um, research, supplies, general operating charges, conferences or workshops, mileage reimbursements, um, and equipment and furniture if necessary. That's what it's supposed to be used for. Um, you know, I haven't talked to Councilmember Tupola about that. Um, 
as far as what ramifications that we are going to do. She is in the leadership team, um, as well as Councilmember Kia Aina. But, but I have to share with you, part of the problem is that we have what's called the Sunshine Law. We can't talk about that amongst the leadership team um, without being in violation of Sunshine Law. So I, I got to be very um, careful about that and what, what happens going forward. But I do intend to have our city lawyers put on seminars for each council member to educate folks on what you can and cannot use this ACA fund for. I uh, want to switch gears. You know, with the city council, there are so many issues. It feels like we just popcorn from one thing to the next. It's not just one thing. There's so much going on on the city level. Uh, really but I want to talk a little bit about uh, our police enforcement and some of the things that are happening there. Um, you know, obviously there is a shortage of police officers and there is some growing concern in the community that COVID-19 has also uh, accelerated, uh, you know, the, the rate of or the amount of police officers that we have with many taking early retirement and seeking uh, other opportunities in that field. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the city council can help to uh, increase the overall police presence uh, and, and working with the police commission? How is that going to happen? Thank you. You know, first and foremost, I want to say that that we fully intend to fund. Let me rephrase that. We intend to fully fund the police department. You know, going across the country, there's been a movement to defund the police. Well, I, I don't agree with that. This year, they're asking for an additional $12 million over their budget last year. And by the way, that's the largest department in the city is the home police department. Last year, we appropriated $300 million for the police department. This year, they're asking for $312 million, and I'm happy to, to give them the resources that they need. But I also want to point out that a patrolling police officer is the best deterrent to crime. Even law-abiding citizens could be driving going 15 miles an hour and 1-5, and when you look and you see a police officer behind you, you step on the brake, right? A patrolling police officer, again, is the best deterrent to crime. And I just want to point out that we fully funded patrol every year since I've been on the council because I recognize the importance of the patrol officers. It's a hard job, folks, and, and nobody's denying that. I think that's why we have approximately 329 uniform police officer vacancies. 329. Now, I understand what Chopo is saying. They want these, these patrol um, slots filled. And I want them filled too, right? Based on what I told you, patrolling officers are the best deterrent to crime. But how do we fill these positions when people aren't applying? I think the last recruit class, only 19 people graduated. 19. And then the chief said, sometimes you lose another 5 to 10% of those once the the, the recruit gets on the job, they find out that they don't like the job and they quit. That's really, really disturbing. And, and, and Kalei, like you pointed out, all these officers who are eligible for retirement, we could be in a world of hurt. The pay is actually a decent pay, right? It really is. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to, to the chief and our new chief trying to work out how to solve that problem. As far as the council is concerned, we're going to give them the resources that they need to, to fill these positions. But it really, really is a difficult, difficult issue. 
Uh, on the subject of, of the bottom line and the budget, Ashley Mizuo, who of course is a familiar face to you over there, she covers uh, Honolulu Hale for the paper. She's asking, what are the main parts of the mayor's proposed budget that has stood out to you and why? Well, homelessness and affordable housing to me is amongst one of the most important issues other than crime prevention, right? And the Office of Community Services is taking a $12 million cut. And in my mind, I'm really concerned about that because this is the department that deals with homeless folks. You know, I live in Kaimuki and, and me and my kids walk down and get bubble tea right around the corner from my house. And there's homeless folks living in the doorways in Kaimuki. And, and by the way, this is happening everywhere from Hawaii Kai to Haleiwa. And when we're cutting their budget, um, that concerns me a great deal. Um, you know, the Department of, of, of Land Management, we appropriated $170 million last year to build affordable housing for our local residents. You know, I, I, I come from a family of six kids and I'm, we were all born and raised right here in Honolulu and five of my siblings live on the mainland. My parents, my dad went to St. Louis High School and grew up in Kalihi. And he moved to the mainland and ended up passing away on the mainland. And it scares me to death to think if my two kids go to college on the mainland and don't come back, we gotta start investing in affordable homes for young people and kupuna and everybody in between. So like I said, we appropriated $170 million to do exactly that, to acquire land, to build affordable housing on, and to build affordable housing on land currently owned by the city. And I was really sad to hear the Department of Land Management is not using that money, right? And they don't really have any plans in the future to use the, the bulk of that money. Um, you know, the, legis the legislature and the council can only do so much we can make a law or appropriate money, but ultimately, if the departments aren't going to use it, that's a problem to me. I want to bring in, as uh, you know, you mentioned the topic of homelessness. Another question we have, and that is coming from Calvin, says, uh, could the city council play a role in expanding the core program to other neighborhoods? There was recent information that core made a presence in Waikiki, Hawaii, Kaiwaki, Kapuhulu, etc. Wanted to get uh, your comment to this question, but also overall, how you think the core program is working as a whole under this uh, new plan by the uh, Blanchiardi administration? So I, I support the core program. I think it's a good program. And, and for your listeners and viewers, what it does is they repurpose an ambulance and they put a doctor in there who knows about mental illness and is trained in, in dealing with folks suffering from mental illness. But and they go out and they'll, they'll try to help folks who are on the street. But ultimately, they, they talk to the folks. And if they don't want the help, CORE leaves. And they'll come back and try again. And, and Calvin, I really believe we should expand CORE because you got to keep at it and keep working with these people. But if you don't have some place for these people to go, then, then that's the, the biggest piece of the, the, the puzzle here. Right, core is just a small piece of the puzzle. You want to be able to go and talk to these folks, get them the medication and help that they need. But ultimately, we got to find some place for them to live because it's simply not acceptable to be living at a bus stop or in the doorway of a business. 
And unless we start investing in building places for these people to live, no matter how much you expand core, it's not going to work. Right. Again, we need core and, and it, it is a piece of, of the, the solution. But ultimately, again, we got to start building places for people to live. And by the way, those folks who are still on the street, I'm happy to report that you don't see too many kids and families out there anymore. These are the hardcore folks who are just just denying services. Right. So um, and they've been through the shelters already. You know, I talked to a, a gentleman who was living at the bus stop down the street from my house, and he says he doesn't want to go into the shelter because he gets beat up. And there's folks suffering from substance abuse and mental illness, and he just doesn't feel safe. He'd rather live under the bus stop getting wet when it rains than being in one of these shelters. So again, and I sound like a broken record, but if I have to say this a million times, I will. We need to build places for people to live. Part of that affordable housing piece also uh, is eliminating illegal vacation rentals and trying to get some of that housing back into local families' hands as opposed to vacationers. Uh, tell us about where well, the, where the uh, illegal vacation rental bill stands right now, and also wanted to get, ask you about um, the vacancy tax that you're proposing. Oh, thank you. So Bill 41 is dealing with short-term rentals. As you may recall, my first day on the office, we did a 12-hour hearing on Bill 89. Bill 89 was an attempt to, to, to curb short-term rentals. Apparently, they tried to go out and make rules um, governing you know, the, the policy of short-term rentals, and, and they weren't able to do it. So they came back to the council with Bill 41 really complicated it basically says you can only have short-term rentals in resort areas think about this folks prior to the pandemic we had 10 million visitors to hawaii 10 million right and the hotels say they can only accommodate 7 million so just doing the math that means 3 million people were living in your neighborhoods in residential areas right 3 million you wonder where, why the traffic is so bad and our beaches are so crowded. And there's one thing that COVID taught us. It was really nice to have our beaches back and our roads back for local people to use and enjoy. So the idea really is, you know, by shutting down short-term rentals, you really are limiting the amount of visitors who come to Hawaii. And I got no problem with that, especially after COVID and seeing how nice it was to have you know, our, our parks and our beaches back for local people. So it, it really does talk about capacity, right? If we can limit it to the amount of hotel rooms we have, limit the amount of tourists, the amount of hotel rooms we have, and tourists who are going to pay a little bit more, right? According to Paul Brubaker, an uh, uh, economist, he said the amount of revenue that we're generating off of the 10 million visitors was the same as when we had 6 million visitors years ago. So why are we putting all that, all of our resources right into this? They use our water, they use our parks, they use our roads, but we're not making any more money. So I, I, I have no problem like keeping them in the resort area. Welcome, aloha, come to Hawaii, but stay in the resort area if you can. You're welcome to use our parks and whatnot, but you know, 10 million is just too much. So cutting back on short-term rentals, the other added benefit to cutting down on short-term rentals is these homes that otherwise tourists would be staying in 
now can be rented out to local people, which is which is a good thing, right? And, and, and hopefully that is what exactly happens. Bill 9 is a vacancy tax. I introduced Bill 9 because you have so many homes that are vacant and you have offshore investors who are who are buying homes in Hawaii because our property tax rate is amongst the lowest in the country. It's 0.03%. 0.03%, that's less than 1% when other major cities charge 25 to 3%, right? So the idea is fine, if you wanna come here and invest in Hawaii, you gotta give back a little bit. And we wanna raise their taxes a little bit more. You know, it, 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 the council isn't in agreement on this and I'm gonna keep pushing for it. You know, I walk down Kahala Avenue in my district and I go buy 10, 15 houses that are vacant, which is fine, but heck, either rent that out to someone uh, or pay a little bit of a higher tax. And, and that's the idea. By the way, that came from a study done by the, the Oahu Real Property Tax Advisory Commission. So I didn't make this up myself. This is a commission that talked about that. While we're talking about uh, taxes, can I can I can I pivot to uh, Bill Three for a second? Yes, for sure. You know, everybody's taxes went up, their property taxes this year, and that was really disturbing for me. I own a, a house that was built in 1927 in Kamuki, and it's about to fall down, but somehow it's now worth two hundred thousand dollars more than it was last year, and and some homes in my district are now worth five hundred thousand dollars, and and the idea of Bill Three is to get the Department of Budget and Fiscal Services to put in your bill why or how you came up with that value. Like, I want to know, I mean, everybody wants to know, how did you come up with this idea? Why is my old home in Kamaki now worth $900,000? For goodness sake, I think it's like 800 square feet, the whole house. And now it's worth 900000 Tell us, tell the, the taxpayer how you came up with that money or that, that value. And that's what Bill 3 does. It would require the Department of Budget and Fiscal Services to put in the bill, excuse me, yeah, your tax bill that you get in the, in the mail, put in there exactly how you valued this property so that you can contest it if you don't agree with it. Right now, the bill is so stark what you get from, from BFS, you can't tell. And I'm just requiring them to do that. I do want to point out, you could go to the Maui um, Finance Department website and they tell you exactly what homes were sold in your in your in your neighborhood. You can search it by by how many feet, right? 500, 1,000, 1,500 feet. What was sold in your district, and that's how they come up with their valuation. Well, in Honolulu, we should do the same thing. It's about openness and transparency, letting people know what's going on. By the way, can I pivot again? I want everybody to go to our website, HonoluluCityCouncil.org. Really, it is about transparency and getting involved in city government. And our new website is fantastic. When you talk about the budget, you can go right on our website, click a button, and I broke it down by department. So you can see what the Department of, of Planning and Permitting is asking for, what the police are asking for, what the Department of Community Services is asking for. And, and it breaks it down, and it, it's, so, it's so great. You can also find out who your council member is just by clicking on there. You can watch our meetings, right? We record them. If you miss it, you can watch it later on or you can watch it live. And uh, you can search up bills that we've 
introduced and the agendas. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful tool. And I'm really proud of it and proud of my staff for, for the hard work that they've done in creating this. And then we have Ho'okele, which is it teaches you actually how to get involved in city government, right? Democracy only works if people get involved. So our website is trying to make it as easy as possible. The other thing I want to do is now that Omicron is passed and assuming that things keep going the way they are, I want to take the Honolulu City Council into your neighborhoods and have hearings neighborhood by neighborhood and just get people to get involved and participate in what we're doing here because the work that we're doing affects all of you. It affects all of us, right? And the, the idea is really to get folks involved. I'm sorry, I'm volaowing too much, but it's, it's excited about, <laughs> about the website. It's March Madness, so there's a lot of pivot steps happening all over, so we understand. And UH uh, won last night. They yes. did, they did. Go uh, unfortunately, we are uh, almost out of time here. Uh, there are a number of other issues that we had hoped to discuss, but unfortunately, we are just all out. But um, really quickly, wanted to just ask you this question about, uh, you know, when we talk about the overcrowding of, uh, our communities because of tourism you know there has been talk of a potential travel tax or something else that would uh create more fees for visitors coming to the islands of course we know like areas like Hanama bay has increased fees there as well could we see more of this moving forward yeah you know the road to hana is an interesting thing you got to make an appointment now to go to the to hana you know and i thought that was brilliant right you can limit folks access to various areas and that's something i want to look at you know um again our beaches and our ocean is our greatest resource and if it's overcrowded and local people can't get there that's a problem you know um there there's technology out there right one of the things we i'm looking at it's called geofencing right you get the tourists to download uh, an app and then as they drive up to the blowhole It'll pop up, beep, you are now entering the blowhole. You will be charged a quarter or 50 cents. You know, the technology is out there. We should be using this. And again, the whole idea is if we can make a little bit more money to get our visitors to help us, then we lower taxes on local people, right? We can lower the taxes on local people. I own a 2004 Toyota Tundra truck. It's going to cost me $600 to register it this year. I would love to lower that for working families, right? Um, and how do you do that? we got to generate revenue somehow. And I don't want to raise property taxes. We absolutely do not want to raise property taxes on local people. So we got to get creative and figure out how else can we get revenue, right? The vacancy tax is one. Um, and perhaps this is another way. We can use technology to do that. Lowering taxes on local people will always get votes. So we understand <laughs> that certainly makes you popular. We really appreciate all your time this morning. And thank you for pivoting with us. We covered so many topics that we'd love to have you on again soon. Happy to do it. And aloha to you both. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Great to hear from Tommy Waters, of course, the chair of the Honolulu City Council. We did cover a lot of ground. So if you missed any part of this program, go back and watch it from the beginning. Or remember, you can always download the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Spotlight Hawaii. This also airs on Channel 50. Uh, interesting, right off the top, Ryan, we talked about the water shortages that Ernie Lau is talking about over at the Board of Water Supply. Uh, basically, most folks in Honolulu being asked to reduce their water consumption by 10% for the foreseeable future. That, of course, 
course, is to deal with the impacts from shutting down some wells because of the Red Hill fuel uh, storage facility leaks. Uh, council Chair Waters talking there about how the council, uh, the city does hold a number of leases uh, that the military uses for training and whatnot, and that those leases could be a negotiating point to making sure that their prom that the Navy uh, does what they say they will when it comes to cleaning up the, the spill and uh, draining the storage facility. Oh, and you are muted there. <laughs> we also heard his thoughts on the Honolulu Police Department and his uh, plans to continue to try to find ways to fund the department uh, and, and meet the demands of, uh, you know, this, what they're asking for in terms of more of their budget. He's also saying that, uh, you know, recruitment and getting new officers of the course is going to be a priority for them moving forward in trying to find ways to support HPD and their efforts to get more police. Uh, in our communities. Uh, again, a number of topics that we discussed, uh, so we encourage you to go back and watch. Uh, we also expect to discuss a lot with our guests on Monday. That's right. We'll be talking to Governor David Ige. Uh, since the last time we talked, he changed his position on indoor masking. So what changed and what is he looking at going forward? We'll also be talking to him about some of the budget decisions that are being made at the Capitol and what he thinks about that going forward and the bills that are crossing over. So plenty to talk about with the governor on Monday. We hope to see you right back here at 1030 then. Have a great weekend. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longstrugs.